0: So for the last time, uh, for a while, we're going to be uh, looking at the life of David and coming to this end story, really, of uh, his life. And it's quite a uh, complex story in some ways. But it's interesting, I think, in the society in which we live, uh, really struggles with the whole idea of death. Um, People don't really uh, talk about death very much. And it's kind of... Paradoxical, really, because uh, we watch brutal violence and death all the time in, in films, you know, or, or Netflix, uh, death by or entertainment by death or death by entertainment. We we, we all, it's a the theme of lots and lots of films, and it? it's either it's either the classic love love story or it's it's a violent kind of story that that's got lots of death in it. Sometimes the two come together, and and you know we put on the news every night and it's it's full of, it's full of death, uh, and it's, it's depressing. Uh, so I'm, and maybe that's why people don't uh, watch the news so much. But actually, although we, we're aware of it all the time, and, and we sometimes just invite it into our lives by, by what we watch for entertainment, uh, I think facing up to our mortality is something that society in which we live is not very good at. Um, talking about death, questioning death, is seen as something that's really morbid, we don't really want to do that it's not something we're going to be involved in. we can deny the reality of it and i think whether consciously or unconsciously people have just come to the conclusion that death is natural uh, and it's it's just it's it's the end uh, of everything so it, often i think people haven't given much thought at least not co- at least not outwardly and in, in a in a verbal way with, with others have not given much thought uh, to to what death is, and, and if anything happens after it, and we'll have given very little thought to the concept of God as the author of life, um, or uh, the fact that we as Christians, we've just sung about it, uh, that God in Christ uh, comes to not only uh, live, but to die, it's, and, and it's a death that as Christians we talk about it all the time, um, and we sing about it all the time, and, and that's because He rose from it. And that's the hugely significant thing for us, isn't it? Because that changes everything. It changes our whole understanding and our whole perspective of life and death that we come to because there's this recognition that in Jesus Christ, you know, sorry, Paul speaks all the time about uh, the, the resurrection being so significant. If you know, if if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then His death was a waste of time, and our faith and our worship and everything that goes with it is also a waste of time. And so there's this great recognition that His resurrection changes our whole perspective uh, on life, because it reminds us that there's life after death, but also more than that, there's death after death. And and in a sense, uh, that's what we always think about or consider uh, when we're considering issues of faith. And this story is uh, it's the, the next, the last record of an, of an old man. We looked at uh, an old and cold man last week, and uh, this is the last kind of bit we have about this old man who is about to breathe his last as we're told in that first verse, and also the, a young man, his son, Solomon, who's on the cusp of life and greatness. So, if you're old tonight, or if you're young tonight, it's Okay because uh, the message kind of covers all of us uh, from God's living Word, and we recognize that. Sometimes I do feel that the more I understand uh, from God's Word, the less I actually understand, the less that I uh, fully comprehend. And that's by way of saying, in a sense, that I don't have all the answers for these Old Testament narratives. Just thought I'd put it out there. Uh, And uh, we're constantly battling and struggling with different elements that we find in the Scripture. But there are two principles I want to tease out here from this passage, um, primarily for us to think about as Christians. Um, I want us to you, kind of take the whole concept of death by the throat a little bit and look at it from God's perspective in the light of, of what He's saying to David here, uh, for David to say to Solomon, his son, as he passes uh The uh, baton over to him. And the two things are uh, we're called uh, to live by faith as believers. And the second thing is that the best is still to come. So we're called to live by faith, and this is a passage uh, where David uh, gives a charge, as it were, to Solomon the son. And it's quite simple. It's really a call for him to live as an Old Testament believer and as a God's representative is the king of Israel, a life of faith in His God. In verses two, if we say, you know, I'm going about the way of the whole earth. Uh, be strong, show yourself a man. Keep the charge, the Lord your God, uh, of the Lord your God, the command of the Lord your God. Walking in His ways, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, His testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. May the Lord establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if, you play, if your sons play, pay close attention to the way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. So, uh, w- within the context of, of the shadows of the Old Testament, we have this great call to walk uh, a life of faith. Uh, it's the covenantal language of the God who has redeemed His people, Israel, and uh, who is in, has put a king on the throne, uh, a king that will point forward to, as we've seen over the last number of weeks, uh, uh, the great Messiah. And it's a call to trust and obey. It's that, that, that old adage, isn't it? Trust and obey. And that's, that's David as God's charge to Solomon. And it's, it's to be in the light of, of grace. It's It's not a way of earning favor with God and trying to get into God's good books, but rather it's a recognition that God has already redeemed them as a people. Uh, He is already their Lord. You know, the charge of the Lord, your God. They were a rescued people. They were a redeemed people. They didn't deserve mercy, but they'd been shown mercy. They were God's chosen people for whom He poured out His great love and His mercy. And they were called to respond to Him in faith and in love because of what he'd done. Now, Solomon would have known that. Solomon grew up in a home where that was evident. It was it was a really mixed-up home. There was all kinds of things going on in that home. But he did know about grace. He did know about forgiveness. He was aware of the covenant and the covenant truths, and he understood uh, what uh, was being said to him here, to follow in the way of his fathers, uh, and to recognise as God of grace the blessings that came from following God and from serving God, and from living uh, in reliance on God. And and that's that's a call that, whether we're very old or whether we're very young or we're somewhere in between, uh, we're always called to live by faith as Christians uh, in the light of His grace. It's never a call to to. Uh, live a ritualistic life of box ticking. It's never a a way of living to try and earn our way before Him, but we're called to constantly recognize and remember His grace and live in the light of that and follow Him as a result of that. We can get weary doing that. Uh, We can find the struggles and battles of life difficult. Uh, We can even be tempted to turn back from Him but we've, be, we've been rescued and we're called to live by faith. And this life that um, is spoken of here, that it's kind of obviously um, developed in the New Testament uh, as we see that um, in different places, it's a strong life. Uh, be strong, he says. Show yourself to be a man. And this is the reality of our, what we're called to do is we're, we're, as, we, as we walk in obedience... To the living God as Christians. As we follow Him. It's a strong life. It's, a, it, it's, it's what makes us people. It's what makes us uniquely what we were created to be when we follow Him. You know, Mark 10 love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, there's no commandment greater than these. As we live and love, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, um, we, we find great strength his incomparably great power for us to believe that that power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So, the raising of Christ from the dead to life is the same strength that enables us to live this way and to be strong. Uh, And that life is a life of of ongoing repentance, humility, and change. So, when you face the searing heat uh, of temptation or of opposition, or of difficult circumstances, what is, it, what is it that comes out? What is it in our life of faith that comes out? Is it bitterness, thorns, and thistles, and an evidence of a heart that's far from the living God? Or is it fruitfulness? When the heat comes, is it fruitfulness? Because that is our, an evidence of where our, our roots lie, where we're gaining our strength, you know, from that great Jeremiah 17 picture, uh, and it reveals that we can bear fruit of whatever we're going through. That, that's the strength that comes from following God and living this way as Solomon is commanded to do. It's an abundant life that's spoken of here. It's great that he speaks about if you uh, live and follow him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's a great picture right in the middle of the Old Testament. It's the same great picture that were given uh, by Jesus in Mark. Um, as Christ gave everything, heart and soul, so we are able also to give everything in our lives. Uh, and that I'll uh, come back to that again. But it's a counterintuitive life uh, where prosperity uh, prosperity will come in the most unexpected ways, but it always comes as we recognize the privilege uh, of following and obeying the living God. And what we recognize about that, and I think it, it comes through here as well, is it always involves death. So, we're getting back to the death subject again. Uh, to live this life of obedience and faith, as Solomon was called to uh, here, always involves death. Now, Solomon was well acquainted with uh, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. He was well acquainted that it was through the sacrifice of uh, a temporary sacrifice of animals, uh, shed blood, uh, the Day of Atonement, a life for a life, that that all pointed forward. To something greater that was going to happen, but that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so, death was kind of built into everything that they, they understood about, about life and, and about forgiveness. The death of a substitute, the lamb, the bull, the goat, uh, wh- whatever it was, all pointing forward, as we can see it now, to the God Himself, the, the real strong man, okay? The real man of faith, uh, the only real man who ever lived, as it were, the greater Son of David, who himself went into the Holy of Holies uh, and faced up, as we saw earlier with the kids, to the divine wrath and the divine uh, justice uh, as God himself to be the one who would give himself in death as a substitute for us. Uh, and that's the great message, isn't it, of the gospel, that the, the, the punishment that we deserve is the one that he receives uh, and takes upon himself. And the death of a substitute, crucial and critical to all our understanding of, of what it is to be a Christian, what it is to live the life of faith. A great Savior. And the recognition of being separate from him is a terrible reality. The separation that comes from death. So, it always involves the death of a substitute, but it also always involves, uh, and, and Corey sp- spoke about this uh, last uh, Sunday morning, really, when he was talking about uh, the importance of uh, fleeing uh, and fighting. Uh, it's the death of sin in our hearts uh, and the death of uh, sin in the kingdom. And that's, that's always part of our calling is to recognize that if we're to walk this way of obedience and of wholeheartedness and of strength, uh, it means that we have got a battle and a struggle and a fight to put to death uh, the sin that's in our own hearts. Now, I think, sadly, David on many occasions failed to do that. And uh, in some ways, there's, there's possibly a tacit acknowledgement of that in, in some of the more kind of brutal things he seems to say, uh, at the end, about um, uh, dealing with, with people from his past who had uh, engaged in evil activity in the kingdom. Maybe he should have, as God's repre- representative and as the king, dealt with that better uh, in his own life. And, of course, we know his own personal life. He, he rejected often the way of obedience and truth, even though he returned to the God of his fathers for forgiveness. And it's the second section here is is pretty tough where he basically says about three different people, Solomon, make sure that they don't go down to death in their old age. Make sure they're dealt with. And it seems a bit revengeful and uh, that he's uh, settling scores. And so, some will take that as being uh, the interpretation of, of these passages But I think it's it's deeper than that in the sense that in the Old Testament we recognized that God was establishing His kingdom. It was a physical kingdom. It was God's kingdom. It was to be a kingdom that stood for justice and right and uh, uh, worship of the living God. And it, it stood against those who would seek to destroy it from within or to destroy it from outside because there was a a rebellion against the living God and a desire for Him to be overthrown. And we know in the case of each of these three characters that they had acted in really ungodly ways and uh, had acted against the kingdom and would, many ways, if they were continued to have influence, would destabilize God's kingdom. And uh, uh, they were judged at this this, uh, time and Solomon was to uh, instigate that judgment on them. And there's a recognition that there always in the Old Testament is that there's this dark spiritual undercurrent of opposition and a, a desire to destroy God and to destroy God's kingdom. Now, we are called today uh, in a different way to be ruthless against sin and to be ruthless against idolatry and self-reliance. There's, a, I think it's very clearly stated in many ways. In Colossians, I'm just going to read a few verses from Colossians chapter five, eh, chapter 3 uh, and verses 5-10. Put to death therefore, so it's the same kind of strong language for us as Christians. Put to death therefore what is earthly in your, in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked uh, when you were living with them, but now you must put them away Uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so we've got that kind of very clear New Testament battle that we're to face uh, against disobedience and against sin, and we're to live this life of strength and wholeheartedness before the living God. So, there's this death that's involved in uh, the death of a substitute in Jesus, the death of sin in our own hearts, and also, ultimately, the death of uh, all who oppose God. Matthew 13 says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, they will weed out His kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. That reality of spiritual death. The reality of us having to deal with what Jesus was willing to take on the cross and did take for all who put their trust in Him. If it's not in Jesus Christ that that is dealt with, we have to deal with that on our own shoulders. And death, therefore, is never just the natural end of life, the natural extinction of life. It's the end of hope for all who are out of Christ. I think that's a struggle for people today, who we live with such entitlement, such a sense of presumption that this is all that is. And we have lost sight, I think, very often I include myself in this, of the eternal justice of God and the great judge of all mankind and the priorities that we should have in the light of that, that Jesus didn't die for nothing, that Jesus' death wasn't cheap, that Jesus is God in the flesh who came with all His love and with all His grace and with all His commitment to take and to deal with what we couldn't deal with on our own, and His kingdom is coming. And that's what we recognize, and that's what we uh, believe. So, there's this uh, recognition that involves death, but also that And that's the kind of negative side. It also involves abundant life. To be the ones who are strong, like Solomon is commanded here, to give heart and soul uh, is abundant life. He gave everything so that we can have everything. And you know, therefore, and I know, therefore, how unsatisfactory it is to be half-hearted in our Christian faith. Uh, You know what it's like to do anything half-heartedly. It's not really great. It's unsatisfactory. You know, if you're trying to keep fit, for example, but you're half-hearted about it, and you've got a stash of donuts uh, so that you can really enjoy them uh, when you're trying to keep fit. Um, it, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really work for you to, to be like that, or if you're doing laps of the track, but you cheat on the numbers because you, you want to give the impression you're doing more than you are, but actually we're only kidding ourselves when we do that because our heart isn't in it. If we're not heart and soul in keeping fit. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, I'm a really bad golfer. I, I'm, I don't really play golf, but uh, uh, I was out the other week with Joe, my son, and we had a scorecard. And you know what it's like if you're kind of half hearted, you're not great at golf anyway, and you're trying to keep a score, and you would look at it after you had finished one of your uh, holes, and you know I'll not count the three that I had to slash out of the long grass. I'll just ignore them and I'll, I'll forget the fact that I ate putted on the green. And you just kind of re- really, you know, you narrow it down. You say, well, I actually got a seven there. That wasn't so bad. Um, when, in fact, you probably got 16 or 17 strokes on that show. And but you're, you're doing nothing but kidding yourself, really, aren't you? And you're really, you're half-hearted about or, or want to improve. And it's unsatisfactory, therefore. But it can also be dangerous to be half-hearted, isn't it? Because we were, a number of years ago, Uh, Katrina and Ross were in Nepal, and and we we had the opportunity to go uh, paragliding, which is (laughs) a marvellous thing to do. Uh, But um, you have to basically run off the edge of a cliff uh, with with someone with you. But you you really have to be completely wholehearted in doing it. You can't kind of... (laughs) you really have to be wholehearted. So, you've got to, when he says run, you can't really drag your feet because probably the whole thing will collapse and you'll die. So, you, you've, when, you, you know, when you run, you've got to really run with him and, and go off the edge of the cliff and go for it wholeheartedly. Um, or if you're you know, diving off a springboard, that's the, you can't do that half heartedly when you're bouncing up and down to get a good height. You can't do that half heartedly if you do it half heartedly, you kind of half fall off and your trunks get caught in the and you, you hang and left, hanging, it's a nightmare. You've got to be really committed and wholehearted, and so it is. with, with it's, It can be dangerous to be half-hearted and really unsatisfactory, and I think that's what we often find, isn't it, in our Christian lives? You know, it's unsatisfactory, and we feel far from God, but often it's because we're just half-hearted, and we're not really giving Him everything in response to all He's given us, and, and we don't enjoy the abundant life. That is promised and is given. So there's that uh, reality that we are called to live by faith. And very briefly, we're also reminded, um, maybe implicitly in this passage, if not explicitly, that the best is still to come. If you remember, this uh, book of First Kings would be, was written primarily to the, the Israelites who were in exile uh, many uh, uh, years later for their own rebellion and disobedience. They lost the promised land, and they were enslaved by the Babylonians, and this was very probably written by Prophet Jeremiah and given to them as a reminder to them of what not only what they had lost, but also of the great hope that God would would fulfill His promises, would return them, and would, there was still a Messiah. There was still a people to come. And Uh, they were in exile, Uh, they were under God's discipline, as it were, and it seemed grim, but there was hope for them, great hope, as they considered God's purposes and God's future. The covenant promise God, which we've looked at all the way through here, is that there's the the king still to come, the the greater David, uh, the great Messiah, Jesus. And for us, we're kind of on the other side of that, aren't we? but we're waiting for the King to return. He has come once uh, in in salvation. He will return as the King of kings in judgment. And that's a great hope for us as Christians because uh, it reminds us of a, a perspective we often forget. Because I think in this life, so often, the best seems to have passed. We've enjoyed the best. Or maybe the best never was. Uh, Or we don't know what the best might be yet if you're young. But as uh, those of us who are older, it's maybe just memories. Um, And even when we do have the best, we somehow, somewhere along the line, there's a shadow there because we know it's going to end, don't we? Even the best of events, we know it's going to end. Or maybe it's unfulfilled dreams. And maybe the standard of we think of what is the best is connected with youth and with vigor and uh, with amazing, pleasurable experiences or maybe amazing relationships. But in Christ, we always have this great reality and this great truth that uh, the best is still to come. I I often quote this verse, don't I, 2 Corinthians? Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So, there's something big going on in our lives, and the older you get, uh, the better it is, because we're enjoying. There's a, a reality that though outwardly we're struggling sometimes, we're becoming more alive, and can become more alive Despite our age, despite circumstances, bes- bes- despite our health, we can be f- become greater fruit bearers the longer we live. Uh, we Im- our life is improving. That's a great, isn't that a great Isn't that very hugely countercultural? And, and yeah, we struggle with getting older, but there's this great seed of life that is growing within us as Christians. And, and even uh, our death is a different death. And I think the language of the Scriptures often reminds us of that. David, we're told here, rested with his fathers. And 1 Thessalonians 4, we're told, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. That nice, that brilliant uh, phrase uh, that reminds us that the sting has been removed from our death and that we fall asleep in Jesus' uh, it's, it's the one great certainty, isn't it, for us all? Uh, it's the one great reality. But this perspective that as we take our last breath as Christians, it will be a breath that is taken in the presence of Jesus and uh, that we will be going into His company so that for us to, to die will be far greater uh, is a great comfort. And, of course, uh, the best is still to come with an unimaginably great eternity Uh, that we walk into, that we live into, that we will enjoy in all its fullness after Christ's return. And I I don't fully understand what it means that these Old Testament believers knew that, but Hebrews 11 speaks about that and says, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So, in in some way, they also understood and knew and recognized that the best was still to come, and we far more can do so as we remember him as the author of life, who will be the one that we will share life with, uh, and the one who will wipe away every tear. So, there's challenges in reading some of these Old Testament passages. There's bits that are really difficult to make sense of, but I think the the basic principles of living a life by faith and recognizing the best, best is still to come is a great way to finish looking at the life of David. And the challenge is there for us all, isn't it? About who we serve and how we serve and how we live and what our perspective is. And this great call, which again was reiterated this morning and balanced as well, is, is about our hearts, heart and soul, and recognizing that He, as we, as we rely on Him, He gives us the heart to be wholehearted for Him, and to serve Him, and therefore to know abundant life and blessing. Let's pray. Father God, we ask and pray that You would teach us Your ways, that we would understand Your truth, that we would uh, be wholehearted in what we do for Jesus, not in our own strength, but as we rely on the Spirit of God who lives within us, and that we would... uh, uh, live by faith and live in obedience. That walk of obedience, which we often struggle with. Forgive us when we uh, fail to obey you because we are grumpy, or we're selfish, or we think we know better, or we think it's hard and difficult, or uh, we're weary. Lord, just help us to come back to you for the desire and for the change of heart, and for the the vision to see that the parameters you give us are there for our blessing, are there for our good, are there to make us strong and whole and uh, to be what we were created to be. Uh, And remind us that sin is is the cancer that destroys that vision and uh, makes us insular and selfish and uh, self-destructive and sometimes also destructive of others. So, Lord, we pray for your wisdom and grace and joy and uh, presence, and that we would help one another to live uh, uh, this life of faith and to remind ourselves that the best is still to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.